Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, everybody. My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you very much for listening to Independence Day, the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changes. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, Claire Holly. Given her genteel demeanor and diminutive stature, it would be easy to mistake Claire Holly for a southern debutante rather than an astute artist with considerable talents as a singer, songwriter, performer, and composer. Holly possesses an innate ability to make people feel at ease, and she captivates audiences when she combines her warm spirit with a beautifully natural way of singing. Over the last two decades, the Mississippi-born and bred Holly has released several albums that range in style from intimate acoustic settings to traditional hymns, children's songs, holiday music, and full band releases. But her new album, Time in the Middle, expands her sound into some new sonically complex territory reminiscent of producer Pierre Marchand's work with Sarah McLachlan. One of the more remarkable aspects about her new album is that this expansive sonic palette was created by just Holly and a pair of carefully selected multi-instrumentalists, Dan Phelps and Jonathan Kingham. The trio hold up in a world-class studio in the rural northern California town of Ferndale, and the isolation yielded a focused album that will feel familiar to her devoted fans, while simultaneously taking a few risks that pay rich artistic rewards. If Holly's angelic voice is what pulls listeners in, it's her keen eye for detail in her lyrics that keeps them coming back. Welcome to Independence Day, Claire Holly. Hey, Claire. Hey. How are you? Good. It's fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you. And thank you very much for taking time out of your very busy schedule uh, to come do this and talk about me. I've been looking forward to, t- I, I'm reading your bio. And ever since I read your bio, I've been like wildly interested in talking to you because we have very similar uh, geographic pasts in a way. Mm-hmm. Tell me where you grew up because I know, but tell, tell, tell the listening audience at home where you grew up. I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. Yes. And you and live, live there all the way, you know, through high school with a couple years in Richmond, Virginia when my dad was in seminary. But yeah. Jackson, Mississippi is my home. Okay. And because that's the thing is you carry very proudly the Southern dialect forward. You live in California now, but you still, this is, this is the way you talk. I can't, I've, I've never tried to lose my Southern accent. I can't lose my Southern accent. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's part of who I am. Like, it's just almost like being part of, you know, your DNA. Yeah. Some people, they, they especially if like a lot of actor types from, from the deep South. They consciously work on tamping down that accent for whatever reason to give them versatility so they don't get typecast, perhaps, as the Southern character in every show. Mm-hmm. You know, even someone like Billy Bob Thornton, who's from Arkansas originally, um, you know, you listen to him speak in different, you know, actors can put on different accents for different things. We were messing around with the Southern accent as we were setting up, and maybe we'll do that a little bit in the interview just for amusement purposes. But um, so this geographic thing is the thing I want to touch on first, because the re- and it's not just the South. I have, I have some Southern roots, but you also went to college in Illinois, Northern mm-hmm. Illinois, Chicago area, um, and now you're in California. And those are like the three kind of big places in my world, too. So we have a lot to talk about. Um, tell me, you know, how old were you when you, was it going to come away to college was the first time you left Jackson, like to go live somewhere else? Yes. I, I, you know, I'd been to southern france yeah junior but never lived yeah i don't mean traveling yes and it was a it was an adjustment i mean it was so cold i didn't know that you could just wear hats and then that would solve everything yeah i didn't you know um so i got through that you know first year my my freshman year at wheaton um i 
I was I was getting all my sister's friends from Ole Miss like come be in our sorority and I you know I could have I could have transferred but I just decided to stick it out and yeah. I'm really glad I did. What did you study in school? Literature. Literature, which but, uh, is a good thing. Don Henley studied literature in school. He's also a good lyricist. <laughs> he is. Um, yes, I was a lit major, but I was uh, I played tennis for one year and then I realized I'm. I'm going to be in the women's corral. So I was in a choir. That was that was my sorority. It's the women's corral at Wheaton College. So it's 12 hours by car, but culturally it was it was maybe further than that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I that was the culture shock I had growing up. Every year we'd go down to Alabama where my dad's side of the family is for like two weeks in the summer and then usually another time of the year as well. And especially like back when I grew up and we didn't have the internet yet, everything wasn't everywhere at the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a whole, it felt like a wholly different country that spoke a different version of English to me. Going back in time, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's that joke, welcome to Alabama, set your clock back 50 years. But it really did feel like a different time and everything, everything felt different. The air, the angle of the sun, the food, uh, the taste of everything. And I couldn't appreciate all those nuances of the differences. I just knew that there weren't as many Mississippians there. I was one right. of maybe five or six um, at Wheaton that I knew of. And did you, culturally, when you arrived in suburban Chicago, I mean, it's got to be a culture shock. Did you, like, did you kind of fight the culture shock? Did you open your heart to the culture shock? Because there's a big difference in the way you do that. Having, like, I moved to Manhattan, and it's like I fought it for a while. But then once I opened my heart to it, it was great. I got if it. I if I fought it, I wasn't aware of fighting it. Okay. I'm sure there were some subtle ways that I did. Um, but I think when I visited Wheaton uh, as a junior or senior in college, I knew that was the only uh, that was the only place I applied. That's the only place I wanted to go. It fe- okay. something felt right about being there. Okay. So, and I I tend to trust those big those instincts, you know. Yeah. So perhaps on some level, I just decided, you know. I'm here for a reason. Again, this this is thinking about it 20 years later. Like, I'm here for a reason. And um, books and ideas opened up in a way, perhaps that they had not before. Okay. So then, when you when you like when you'd go back for uh, summer break, mm-hmm. you know, did your southern friends then notice? I mean, everyone notices changes in their friends when they come back from college. But going to like, there's a lot of animosity towards the north. Like, there's like residual. Um, I guess animosity is the best thing I can think. Like a lot of my relatives, like, oh, you're a Yankee, as if that was a, a pejorative term. You know, you're yeah. a Yankee, you're a Yankee, you're a Yankee. I'm like, well, wait, what? I thought I we were all friends here. You, you definitely hear, hear the Yankee part, but not often did people say you sound different. Um, okay. And really, when I think of going to college, I think of that was really when I started playing the guitar. So I had that that whole thing going on. Um so college for me was a place where I learned, started writing songs and okay. figuring out songs on the guitar. So it, honestly, I don't think we have to, it wasn't a big deal going, you know, transitioning back to Mississippi for the summer. Yeah. I'd work at a camp in Northern Alabama for a couple summers, met girls from all over, yeah. you know, the country, but mostly Southerners. And um, it, it was it wasn't re- too weird. I like I liked the change change up. It was okay. a little bit like being in LA and then going back yeah. to Mississippi. Like I I enjoy getting ready to go to the other one. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I like the different places for different reasons. If yeah. there's one thing I learned about life and the places I've lived is that there, when I felt like when I was younger, I was looking for that one perfect place that would mm-hmm. be the place I would want to be all at all times. Mm-hmm. And what I learned was there is no one perfect place. I want pizza from Chicago and I want, I don't know, music festivals in San Francisco and I want um, New Year's in New York and I want, you know, I burritos want burritos in Los Angeles. I want burritos in Los Angeles. Actually, I like the Mexican food in Chicago better than Mexican food in Los Angeles, but that's a whole oh. different thing. It's a whole different. There's tons of Mexicans in Chicago. You know what it is? It comes down to one simple thing, Claire. It's the it's the salsa. In L.A., they give you this tiny little like one ounce or two ounce thing. In L.A., they're in Chicago. They give you a cereal bowl full of salsa, and that's what I want. Then just ask for a bigger bowl. Yeah, it's a big thing. It's a whole thing. Anyway, Claire, let's listen to some music. You've got a brand new record. It just dropped yesterday. It's called Time in the Middle. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. I mean, it's got a kind of reminiscent of Daniel Lanois' work with so many different people. So the production style uh, doesn't get in the way, but it definitely has an imprint on what you're doing. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about more about places you've been, places you're going. We'll talk about the record and things like that. But first, I want people to hear a song. So this is the song Heat of July, or as Southerners say... Heat of July. Heat of July. <laughs> From the record Time in the Middle. Claire Holly, so glad to have her on Independence Day. If God from dust did make a man She would make one too But damn She was strong and duty-bound Piano scales went up and down Sweat to you Till you shine 
Welcome to Independence Day. That is the wonderful music of Claire Holly, A-I-R-E, Claire, and Holly, H-O-L-L-E-Y. You can visit her website at ClaireHolly.com. Claire, it's so wonderful. It really is wonderful to meet you. It's good to meet you. It's good to have you along. Thank you. I could listen to you play music all day. Thanks. Thankfully, we've got several more songs coming up as we get through the course of this interview. So we were talking before about like geography. Um, grew up in kind of Mississippi area. You know, Jackson's capital of Mississippi, correct? So it's not sleepy in that like rural southern. Like your right. your southern was different from like rural southern, right? Were you mm-hmm. like in a suburb? Were you in the city proper? Yes, I was in the city proper. Okay. But Jackson's not. It, the time that I grew up, it wasn't a big on you know the city proper and then the suburbs. Now right. it's getting a little bit more like that. Do you know what the population of Jackson is off the top of your head? Ballpark. I, I remember asking my dad that about 20 years ago, and he said 300,000. I mean, it, it's probably somewhere between three and 500,000. Yeah. I mean, I've been through there, I mean, but I don't know Jackson yeah. itself very, very well. Um, so then, but college in Illinois, so that kind of had a different effect on you. So tell me, you know, at what point did you grow up in a musical family? Where did the music come from in your world? You know, was there the Holly family reunion where people were sitting around playing fiddles? Or now, like I remember, what? I was a chamblain. Holly's okay. my married name. Okay. Um, so yeah, the Chamblin family. That so my I was born Virginia Claire Chamblin, but there was like Virginia, Virginia. I was like, no, it's Claire. My grandmother Olivia Chamblin was a jazz piano player, and she insisted that my sister and me take piano lessons. So she paid for us to do that, starting at third grade. But um, my dad had all kinds of records. Um, from, you know, Mozart arias and Beethoven symphonies to Kenny Rogers' greatest hits and Glenn Campbell and Bobby Gentry and the Convoy soundtrack. So um, <laughs> I love the Convoy soundtrack. I used to I, play that I incessantly. That. Breaker 1-9, Breaker 1-9, a series Towards of rubber the duck, dark come on. noon on the 6th of Gene and the Kenworth Hall and along. You know, like I was a disc jockey. Yeah, of course you like that. Um but there was, and my mom was really good about having just a lot of random instruments and toy instruments in the house. So we had an auto harp and harmonicas. And she asked me if I wanted to take guitar lessons when I was in fifth grade, I think. And so we, we, t- she took and I took and I really took to it and, um, you know, played the ukulele in the car between Sunday school and church and, Seriously, remember doing that. And then seventh grade hit, which we call, we don't call it middle school, we call it junior high. Junior high where I came up. You know what the difference was? Middle school was sixth, seventh, and eighth. Right. Whereas junior high was seventh and eighth. At least that's how I delineated it in my head. Anyway, go on. That's a stupid detail that didn't need to be shared, but go on. (laughs) Junior high hit, and I stopped playing guitar and just did things that seventh and eighth and ninth grade girls do. I don't know, you know, talk to your friends and whatever. So it was right before I went to college that I picked up the guitar again. I was, I didn't want to cut my nails. I cut my, finally cut my fingernails. Isn't that mm, ridiculous? It was a big step. I did not want to, what if I just, it's so vain. So, um, but yeah, music was definitely a part of life and, you know, the Chamblin family. And okay. And on behalf of all musicians or all fans of music everywhere, thank you for cutting your nails all those years ago. You're a good player. I like thank watching you. you play too. Um, you've got those like nimble little fingers, you know, which work work well for a guitar. Like if, I think people, they look at the guitar um, 
like the, the initial hump, I think, of learning it is a little steep because you got to do have to get your fingers to do yeah. things that don't come naturally to them. But like once you get it, it's just in there. It's mm-hmm. you know, it's different from piano where it's like piano, you just bang on it. Like any yeah. kid, any toddler can go up and bang out chopsticks. But guitar, you're doing two different things with each hand, and it's are you right-handed? Are you left-handed? Is there a guitar around? Then you got to tune the thing. You don't tune it. I mean, you do tune a piano, but not at home. Right. Anyway. Right. So then tell me, how did you get from, was it college when you started actually writing music? When you, like, how did you get from like farting around on the uh, auto harp and that stuff as a kid and spinning records with your folks to like, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to start that, this. It was very gradual. Um, That's Dorothy June, our research hi, assistant. Dorothy Say June. hi. Um, you know, right before I went to college... As I said, I decided I was cut my nails, and I had two weeks up in Canada because I was there for a wedding, and I had this Eagles Live tape, and I thought, I was listening to Take It Easy, and I was like, I'm just going to try to figure out what they're doing. So I was playing it, and I realized, oh my goodness, I, I can actually bang out these chords, G, D, C, minor, and, and it took off from there, just like figuring out that one song, and I realized, oh my goodness, a lot of these songs are not, they're, it's not like learning, you know, Pat Metheny songs right, or something. Right, right, it, it's, right. it's you're learning about four or five chords, sometimes Ste- two. Steely Dan, it ain't. Okay, okay, but I wasn't trying to learn Steely Dan songs. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like the learning Eagle songs, you know, is not learning Steely Dan it's songs not. because um, it, there's there's and that's what's so great. Honestly, that's what's great about the Eagles for like people who are learning songs is that. The, they're, they're mostly diatonic chords and then when they do throw in like a non-diatonic chord that's how you open that door into oh why is there an A major in the key of G oh why did they do that you know go on I'm sorry um, so learned learned that song and then borrowed a guitar my freshman year I was too cheap to buy I was like well maybe who knows if I'm going to stick with this I borrowed this friend's applause guitar which is a knockoff of an ovation yeah and uh, just played, just, you know, played my songs or, or started picking other songs out, uh, Tracy Chapman or Indigo Girls. And then by the time I got home for the summer after my freshman year, I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a guitar. Okay. I don't know how I got the money, but I went to a place called Ronnie's Guitars in Pearl, Mississippi. And I, oh, you know, you do. It's like you, you play, you just played a few and I found the one I wanted to, to use and What did you pick it. out? I'm curious. Well, everybody thought it was a D28. You know, oh, I like your D28. It's a Simon and Patrick. It was a Simon and Patrick guitar. I still have it. I love it. It's, it's a Canadian make. Um, and I think they were probably made to sound like a dreadnought, you know, Martin. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of knockoffs. I mean, when something yeah. becomes like the big thing, everybody knocks off a million versions of it. And I, I, I you know, did a bunch of shows with that guitar for a while, but it, it it doesn't hold tune that great, so that's when I bought the Loudon. But I love it for open tune things. And yeah. So anyway, got the guitar, and then I began playing um, at college, you know, the coffee houses, and this guy walks up to me and says, you know, we're going to do a CD of Wheaton College artists. Would you consider, you know, submitting a song for that? I said, I don't, I don't have any, I haven't written anything. And, I, and I, um, his name was Martin Baumgartner. And he goes, said, well, why don't you try? So I did. And that was okay. that was the first song of my sophomore year. And it went on a CD. Your, went, your very first song that you it ever went on wrote. A, <laughs> I never thought about that. That might have, maybe that, I see what you're saying, because 
you can have really bad first song experiences. Yeah. I don't love hearing that. Like it's some people really like that song. I, yeah. It's a little well, earnest. You're looking at well, earnest. Earnest is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I, I think all artists have to be earnest to a certain extent because then, I mean, what does that lead to? You're earnest, and then, or are you self conscious about it? Like, and that's the demon of songwriters is self consciousness. It's like it's that little, uh, you know, you're not doing it right, or that song's that not voice. good, or change that line, or or whatever. So earnestness is, I feel like, like one of our primary weapons to help us fight that self consciousness, like being. That's- having the heart and the courage just to do what we do. And it isn't always great. We use this weapon, this earnestness, to kind of help us conquer the things that kind of keep us from doing what we're doing. Because we, as artists, I feel like we have, we have things stacked against us. You know, like getting the attention of an audience, especially when you're doing music, like, like your music, the, rec- the records are kind of run the gamut from loud to soft. But you do a lot of your touring as a solo artist, mm-hmm. right? So you're having to get the attention of the entire audience with generally you and a guitar when you're on the road. We use this earnest, we use this like the, the, the weapon, the shield of earnestness mm-hmm. to kind of help us get past the self-consciousness of being a musician, the self-consciousness of being a performer. And when you go out and play solo shows, you're doing these, you know, say solo shows. When you're going out on tour, you're doing them by yourself a lot of times. And it's hard to get people's attention, you know, at least I think it is. I know exactly what you're talking about, and I think it's necessary to have to that's, that's just to do that. That's hard. I mean, walk into a place, especially where nobody knows who you are and don't necessarily want you there. I had a gig every Thursday night at a little place called Rainbow News and Cafe in Winston-Salem. It was when I, right after I decided, I'm going to try to do this for a living. Every Thursday I'd go play there, and I'd walk in, and they'd be like, oh, this is going to be some jewel. Like that's when jewels is like they're they're imagining you to be a certain way and you have to go there and you have to make them feel otherwise or just dispel some of those. And you're not going to with everybody. I think really what you have to do is just be as comfortable as you can with who you are. And that's something that happens, of course, more over time. I feel much more comfortable in my musician skin than I did when I was 22. Yeah. But you have you have to just. You have to do that. But, you know, one thing I've done is I go and play and I meet musicians in that town that I'm playing and I play with them again and again. So less and less do I have, if I want to do a solo thing, I can, but I like to have one other musician that I can interact with on yeah. on stage. I mean, I, I think that's just ideal, it's, whether it's bass or pedal steel yeah. or cello or electric guitar. That complementary instrument adds, It's to use a military term or to borrow one, it's called a force multiplier. You know, the having two people is more than just two. You know, the sum is greater than its parts is another way to say that. Like having any other complementary person and that, that, that person's creativity, that person's soul, that person's approach to art, that adds something to. And then the harmony voice, which for me is of paramount importance, is the voice is the instrument we all carry around. It's the instrument we all relate to. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's get to a song here. We want to get to make sure we don't run out of time and get everything in here. So what's this very first song going to be, this live tune? So this song is called Bone, and it was uh, originally written with a character in a film in mind. I was, I was scoring this film called Child of the Desert, and it was about a woman um, named Elia, played by Dale Dickey. And she's making a pilgrimage back to Texas to uh, see her son's grave. He's died in the war. And um, so it was about her kind of struggle coming to terms with his death and sort of a bit of, you know, yelling at God kind of stuff. I was trying to get in her mind and what she might be feeling. Okay. That's Claire. never happened to me. <laughs> and thank God for that. All right. So Claire Holly, great song, Bone, here on Independence Day.
lost me when I lost him. Bone of my bone, skin from my skin. I kneeled at the bed, kissed the hallowed ground, waited for a sign, but I never heard a sound. Rose of stone, white as bone, buried by the weight of his bones. Joe Armstrong, you are listening to Independence Day, and thank you for doing so. Drop by Independence Day website, indepday.com, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y. We've got 130-plus artists on here, and I'm very, very glad to add Claire Holly to their legion. Claire, thank you again for coming on the show. I appreciate sure. it so much. Los Angeles-based singer-songwriter, you can learn about her at claireholly.com. Uh, as evidenced by that song and the stuff we heard before, like you know your way around a song. You know your way around a vocal. You know, you like this is something that I feel like this comes naturally to you. Do you feel like this is something that comes naturally to you? Like some people have, some people are good at football. Some people are good at baking. Like, do you, are you self aware enough to know that you're just good at this? Hmm. How do I answer that question? Um, to some extent, yes. I mean, I think I've, it wasn't like I, when I was five years old, I thought, oh, I'm, I've got a great singing voice. I'm going to go sing, the sun will come out tomorrow. You know, that wasn't me, but over time, I feel like yeah, I have 
I've been given an ability to to sing songs and yeah. imitate sounds. I mean, that's a lot of times for me what it came from, like just mimicking what you hear. Um, I think for me, that's the key is getting comfortable because when I start to think about it, I can, re- it just, it messes it all up. So just doing, being, being myself. And if who part of me is, is a musician, that's fine. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. Well, I'm trying to be humble op- about this. It's but. an open-ended question. I'm not asking you to tell people why you're great. I'm just saying that, like, that's it's a different thing. Like, to like, obviously, I don't think you would be doing it at this point still if you didn't think you were you had something to offer. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's another way to say that. So, let's change gears just a little bit. I want to touch on like songwriting for just a minute here, and I want to kind of contrast. Like that song was written for a specific film, mm-hmm. right? Which is a different thing than just writing a song about whatever happens right. to tumble out. So, because were you commissioned then to do that? Like, did someone say, "Hey, I want you to write here's here's ten million dollars. I want you to write a song." For it was a ten. It wasn't a ten million dollar budget, but it was. I was commissioned for a minimal amount of money to do the whole the whole score of this. It was okay. a UCLA student okay. film, um, and Ileana Sosa is her name. She's from El Paso. Uh, so I love writing for a character in a film because you already have almost of the part of the song is written because the character is given to you. You can see what he or she is like and how they're interacting with the world. Now I'm just adding a little bit to that to accentuate the scene. Yeah, it gives you it gives you some parameters to work with, which context. in some ways is a, a benefit. Oh, completely. I don't I don't want too many too many options are hard for me. I want yeah. I want to have something be really specific. So sometimes I write with Kristen Mooney. We have a duo called Powder Coat, and we have one song called Water Gives, and she had these photographs in mind. Um, of the Colorado River that had been dried up in places. And that just, that image right there. So I think it's helped to start, it's helpful for me to have something specific as an inspiration. And and very often in a film, that's just a a character. uh, There's a great Neil Young song I've been listening to uh, after the gold rush a lot lately. Mm -hmm. And um, the title track from that was inspired, you know, Neil was going to write something about this movie that I don't think, I'm not even sure they ever even used, like the thing about the silver spaceships and the thing about the, like the lyrics are kind of unusual. Even for Neil Young, they're a little peculiar. And that that makes sense to me. Is like he was looking at this film and then kind of extrapolating ideas from this film and then making that. Or Tom Petty, uh, She's the One soundtrack. Like some of that was for the film, some of it was leftover stuff from Wildflowers. But I love it when you have parameters like oh, that. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with your statement that like when I have too many options I get overwhelmed very easily and we've never before in our lives had so many options now our phone is everything uh, and everywhere all the time it's overwhelming I think mm-hmm. so and then when you approach let's let's con- con- contrast that with when you when you're writing one of your own songs it's not mm-hmm. for a movie you're just writing mm-hmm. p- plucking it out of the ether um, do you have specific like themes you like to write about? Do you have specific ideas you like to write about? Are there, like I noticed that you're good at imagery, like setting a scene and describing a scene kind of almost in the third person. Um, but what, uh, you know, where, where does it come from for you when, you're, when, you're, you don't, when you don't have those parameters? Like how do you affix your own parameters? I don't, I don't think I have so much of a formula like how I could just answer that in a sentence. But um, it very often will just start with with a melodic line. I'm playing on the guitar, and I feel like it's it's wanting to tell a story. That the melody in the guitar, or that I'm hearing vocally, is it's it's a starting point, and it it has something to say. And I'm I'm joining in on this little journey. Okay. Um, in the case of a song um, that I'm gonna do called "Traveling Saints," 
uh, that that a friend of mine lives in New Orleans, and her husband says something about he wanted his funeral to be like a parade in New Orleans. And for some reason, that just I started thinking about that city and how it's so. Uh, it has this crazy history, but it has all this confluence of culture and music and food. And um, it's, I went there soon after Katrina, and I felt this, on the coast, I felt this amazing sense of community there. You know, we've had this horrible thing happen, but it's brought us together. Yeah. So I, I was trying with this song to sort of set the stage for all are welcome here. All are welcome here and in New Orleans, whatever you bring. And I think that's that's true for the way that I want to live and my faith, really. Like, yeah. I want people to feel welcome when they're hearing me or when they talk to me. When they listen to your music, when they experience yeah. you. Because you're, you're an artist and a human. Yeah. And I think that's something that... Sometimes it feels disconnected, sometimes it's it's not at all. But when you're, especially when you're a solo artist, it's all kind of the same thing. And now mm-hmm. when we're in a world where we interact with our fans directly through the internet and we put up videos every day and before, you know, we periscoped, to use that as a verb for the first mm-hmm. time in my life, our taping of our songs today. People could have listened when we did this a few weeks ago. They could just watch and listen mm-hmm. when we were doing it live. We can interact in different ways. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. Let's actually hear that song. Okay. When we come back, I want to talk. We're doing something really unique with this. Because I want to, when we come back from you playing this, I want to talk about what we did. But I'll give people just a little bit of a clue. So you listen for there's going to be something happening in this song that doesn't normally happen on the show. So this is the song "Traveling Saints," Claire Holly and Independence Day. Listen for the listen for the thing, and we'll talk about it after the song. Call winner and loser. Come broken and Come all who made it wrong Take off the weight Let the chains fall away And join this parade And bring your sorrows, bring your joy Like you never could before Come traveling saints Come fancy your play
Pretty obvious that at this point, what we did there, we started off with you playing the song live mm-hmm. in our Independence Day studios, our expansive studios here in California, Southern California, and then we crossfaded that into the the recorded version on the new record, which is coming time in the middle, which just came out yesterday. Everybody mm-hmm. should go pick it up. Um, buy music from musicians. That's like the one thing I stress on this show all the time. Um, and the reason we did that, uh, we came it's your idea actually it was to come up with this idea to kind of show how. You know, the way you played it initially is probably how you, you thought of it up, thought it up. Mm-hmm. It's just you and a guitar. But then when you take it to a studio, mm-hmm. when you take it to musicians and take it to a producer, it kind of evolves. So now you take it and tell me about that process. Well, I I heard this song as I was writing it as kind of, I love the Carter family. I love the duet and the sort of simplicity of those songs. And I was, as I wrote this, I was thinking, this for me has my kind of take on a Carter family song. I heard it as kind of a country-ish duet, very stripped down. But then working with Dan Phelps and Jonathan Kingham and our engineer, Martin Woodley, you know, you play the song and then they bring what they bring to that day to the song. And it turned into something completely different that I would have never imagined, but I really love. So the song now has a life as its recorded version. And then it has the version that I'll probably still do when I play solo, kind of yeah. a little bit more down home, I guess. Has then, does this ever happen with other songs to you too? Like when you go into the studio and then you do a new version of it, does it then like re-inform the original solo version? You kind of blend the two maybe even? Like you take little elements of what it ended up getting I think, recorded? I think that's exactly right. I think you, a recorded version can be a way of kind of disciplining what, what is, let's get the best parts of the song and let's do it. And then, yes, it does influence the way that I'll play it live in the future. But it's different every single time, yeah. really, for yeah. what you're bringing to the gig that day. Well, and that's, what, that's, that's what's so wonderful about live music is that it's not, I guess it could be. I mean, and maybe that's one of the things that I, I don't enjoy about certain styles of music, that they'll just sing over a pre-recorded track. Yeah. Where it is the same thing every time. And, you know, what I want is that real thing. Like, okay, you're not feeling well today. How does this song sound when you're not feeling well? Because you're still going to go up there and play it. You've got the gig. You drove all this way. You've set up. You're on stage. I mean, you're not debilitated. You're not in your hotel room. So true. Sick. But not, or you just got a great piece of news. Your sister had a baby. Or you got a big check from something. Or whatever makes you happy in your world. Or it's a beautiful sunny day. How does a sad song sound on a sunny day? How does a happy song sound on a rainy day? These are the these things. Are, these are good questions. These I, are the things I think about. Well, I know they're. I don't know how to answer. That. <laughs> well, 
Well, it, I'm not even sure it's a question. Well, well, yeah. Um, I think you just bring whatever you bring that day, and if you've gotten some bad news, you don't try to hide that. You, you, you. That's going to come through. Um, I think again, it's just all about being comfortable with whatever is going on with you at that moment. At the same time, there is a performing aspect. Like I don't want to do this song. I've just done it twenty times in the last yeah. week. But I'm gonna. But I'm gonna do it. But I feel like in that, when it comes to that, like we all have an accountability to our audience. Yeah. Especially if they've paid. Like if you're just if people are showing up, you can do whatever you want, right? <laughs> but I mean, you have you have a responsibility if, there yeah. too. But if someone paid to see you, I know. Like entertainment can be sad, right? But that's still entertainment. You you have a job to do. Okay, here's here's what I think they want, and I, I'm going to borrow a line from David Byrne. An audience wants to see you walk across the tightrope. So they want to feel as though you're going out on a line and putting something of, putting a part of yourself, you're, make, you're, giving, you're making something at stake. You're, the stakes are high. If it's just your, another gig and you're just kind of phoning it in, I think yeah. they're going to feel that. I think that's what they're paying for is to right. is to walk, watch you walk, walk across the tightrope if possible. Right. Well, there's a reason. That's hard for me. Wow. Okay. That's yeah. That's good. That's good stuff. Knowing that that's hard because it's that's yeah. the challenge for musicians because you, you know, they say, you know, they don't, when you're watching a movie, like they don't make movies about people making sandwiches really. Because that's not conflict. interesting. Everyone makes sandwiches conflict. every day. It's those moments of conflict, those moments of pain, those moments of loss that's, that's the shared human experience, that that's what gets people to watch yeah. stuff. They, they don't make movies about boring things. They don't write books about boring things, or they don't make very many, because that, that doesn't sell. It's not interesting. Mm -hmm. Anyway, before, I, mean, I love this. This is such good stuff. Um, when we were talking before about, you know, what is a, a sad song sound like on a sunny day? It takes me exactly to the next song you're going to play. It's perfect for that. It's a perfect setup for that. So tell me why this song. We live in Southern California. Uh, why, what's I'm so sad tell about you this why. song? It's simple. I needed a song in a minor key. I was like, I'm singing a lot of major songs. I need, I need a minor key um, song. So that was, that was actually originally what I was thinking with this. And I've, I've played it live enough that I have one friend in particular, that Tom Provost, um, who really loves this version. So this is for you, Tom. Okay. And what is this, Claire? Summertime. Summertime on Independence Day. So hush, little baby. 
mornings You're gonna rise up singing Then you'll spread your wings And you'll take to the sky Till that morning comes Ain't nothing gonna harm you With daddy and mammy Standing by Once again, Claire Holly singing us to heaven or singing us to wherever you're singing. To beautiful voice, beautiful rendition, beautiful song. Um, tell me, you know, you were commenting on the lyrics just a second ago. It's it's hard to know as a Southerner, really, in some ways, how to how to sing this. I mean, this my story was not um, that of a of a black slave. I mean, I think this was, I think our what the Gershwin brothers wrote this about um, probably some tough times for a lot of people yeah. in the South. Yeah. So I'm singing this as someone that did not have that very specific experience. Um, but there's something very familiar about this. Maybe it's because it's a standard. It's just, it feels kind of safe for me to sing. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, let me think about that a little bit more. It's a beautiful song, and that ties into what we were talking about before, like a, a song with, because the, the lyrics aren't actually sad exactly if you listen to them, like on the surface level. You know, Fisher jumping, what something, you know, blah, 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 blah. You, you just sang it. Give yeah. me some lyrics. The living is easy. But is the living easy? Right. I think the person sp- speaking to uh, maybe a, a little child that she's rocking to sleep. 
Yeah. No, the living's easy for you, but it's not yeah. for me. But your dad's your dad's rich and your mom's yeah. good looking and yeah. So you don't have anything to worry about, little baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but then we're just, what about the second verse? You, you're going to spread your wings and fly. My husband's grandmother one time said to me, Claire, it's time to spread your wings and fly. She was telling me to get up. I was going to Chicago. I was going there. And I, what is it about spreading your wings and flying? I don't it's, know. Well, it's a great, it's a metaphor. You know, and humans, before we could fly as a, as a race of creatures, you know, that was something we longed for. Now look how fast we went from flying to the moon. Yeah. You know, and that's a, that's a human thing. So it's that it's that ultimate metaphor. I, there's a lot of flight metaphors in the songs that I write for that very mm-hmm. reason. And we, uh, Bradbury, Ray Bradbury, being one of my favorite authors of all time ever, uh, there's a specific phrase that he uses. You know, there's the phrase that says, you know, uh, jump and the net will appear, right? And some people love that phrase, and that's a fine phrase, right? Because um, it's it's basically the leap of faith. You jump and there's a net. But Bradbury wrote a version that said, jump and build your wings on the way down, which to me is at least personally far superior because it's it's empowering you to fly. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be caught in a net. Something's not going to catch you. You're going to jump in fear and on your way down you're going to build something while you're terrified because that's the hardest time to do it. But that's the time when it matters mm-hmm. is to make those wings and then you're not going to land in a net and then get off the net and be on the ground. You're going to fly, young woman, mm-hmm. young man, whatever. Get out there and do it. Anyway, I could talk about Bradbury all day. Great song, beautiful rendition. Um, lyrics that are at once happy and sad and open to interpretation, mm-hmm. which is the beautiful thing yeah. about music. Um, let's talk about the new record a little bit because we're going to run short on time here. I want to get some some talking about this in yeah. here. Like it's to me, it's Lanois esque. And you did this in a studio in Ferndale, which, mm-hmm. as I understand it, having checked it on the map when I learned about this, you're practically in Oregon, like right on the mm-hmm. California coast, like way way up north, Humboldt, mm-hmm. where it's like pot growers mm-hmm. and loggers and it's beautiful awesome. little sleepy towns and nothing else. Quiet little town. So you know, what was it that made you decide to do it up there? Like why? Why go to Ferndale when you live in Los Angeles? There's world-class recording, recording studios here. I had done some sessions um, at the studio. A friend of mine owns it and had such a good time being there. And he has been generous enough to let some of his friends use it. And so it's this it's this wonderful world-class studio just in this yeah. quiet little town. So um, he was just gave me the opportunity and, and there's I, a fantastic video that's up on your website that you mm-hmm. can go and kind of it kind of talks about the process mm-hmm. and like there's some shots of you guys working in the studio mm-hmm. y'all as they would say from the south and people are working you're know, kind of working on it because you went up there with a kind of a small group of mm-hmm. people tell me just tell me about the process like you you had this new batch of songs hey look here's a studio let's go do it why those guys that you took up there and just talk about the process a bit so one of the guys jonathan kingham he lives in nashville he's used to live in Seattle, really wonderful singer-songwriter. He and I had met um, through John Phelps, who has a studio. And we were, I just thought, wow, he's really hes really easy to work with. I like him. And I like the way he can just jump in on other people's songs. So I asked if he would be interested in working with me on this and producing. And then we thought it'd be really great to have Dan come as well. We'd worked with Dan a little bit. And... um it just became, I sent them demos. We got some dates down and we all listened to the demos and then we got up there and knocked them out. And it was yeah. about six days of recording straight. Yeah. And they're kind of multi-instrumentalists. So they, they, can, are just, multi- they can just kind of jump Dan, from instrument to Dan instrument. Dan plays bass, drums, guitar, keys. And Jonathan was mostly organ and piano. And I feel like there's something very special that happens when you take a band or an artist out of their environment 
and you put them away mm-hmm. somewhere. It's, 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 a, it's a gift. Like a lot of artists aren't able to do that just for financial reasons. Um, to get away, separate yourself from any responsibilities that you would normally have to deal with. It's harder now with cell phones because it follows you everywhere. But you know, I've done that with bands to produce. When I lived in Chicago, I'd go right around the lake to St. Joseph, Michigan, to a studio there, which wasn't so far away, but it was far enough away that like the drummer's wife wasn't going to call and say, hey, can you pick up milk on the way home? Or, hey, uh, Billy's sick, we need to take him in, and then the session's over, even though we're still on the clock at 100 bucks an hour or whatever it was. So it kind of becomes this microcosm, and especially if it's a beautiful place like Ferndale, because that it must have had an so, influence on the it music. It was wonderful. I'd go on these walks in the morning... Um, and just get in the right headspace. And what was funny, um, Joe, is I was also the cook because okay. I I had I had these ladies that would go and buy the groceries and they could do some prep work. But then I would be I was making sure all these people were fed. About four of us. And so if if I finished recording and I'd be like, okay, y'all y'all uh, work on the song. I'm gonna go make lunch. That was actually kind of good yeah. to have have another thing to be having to think about. Well, it gets you out of, you know, it's, it's another type of creativity, and it's giving life in a way, which mm-hmm. is like music. You're creating something, and it gives you something else to do, because that's, that's another thing with recording studio stuff, is I always, again, for that very reason, I tried to make sure as a producer there's other things going on, whatever that is. Yeah. I mean, it can be as simple as a video game. Hey, we're ping playing pong. Tetris in the other room, or ping pong, or what have you. It, it, there has to be a balance yes. of some kind. Um, and and it's, it's a creative situation, but... And everybody was just really... Everybody was easy to work with. I don't know how... I mean, to me, a lot of what needs to happen, if you have a batch of songs, you just get the right get the right people yeah. and it takes care of itself. Yeah. Of course, that is a big, you know, can you get the right people, but... Right, right, right. This just personalities, musicianship, generosity, kindness, I mean... And tell me, I feel like every record, uh, what did you learn doing this record about yourself, about your music, about life in general? Every record kind of, it's a process and it's got a beginning and an end. So it's like an encapsulated thing that can kind of teach you lessons. It always does to me. Did you, was there something that you learned out of this or did you learn anything out of this? I think over time, um, this was probably the most comfortable I'd ever felt singing. Just, again, as I said earlier in the interview, I... I'm I'm much more comfortable with like this is who I am. I'm not these things, but I am this. So I'm going to be the best me that I can be. So I felt like I learned to be really comfortable in my singing skin and just and not be fearful. You know, just just do it. Um, I also learned to just kind of embrace again. The the record's called Time in the Middle, and that's about it. it I'm I'm in this middle place. You know, we call it. Some people call it midlife, you know, where I've done this stuff in the past, but then where is my life going to go? And it's this sort of, it's sort of an exciting time, like embracing that, that middle, that time in the middle. So over, that's for me, something, what I've learned, it's a little bit, uh, abstract i guess well no i mean we're musicians we're artists i mean we live in the abstract you yeah. know our, i think our job is to take the abstract and, and translate it for mm-hmm. people who don't mm-hmm. you know there's a thing i read once about how musicians more normal people normal people people who aren't artistic have a fil- they filter out what their brain deems to be unnecessary information and that they had done the study that artists don't have this filter and that's maybe why some of them have emotional issues or psychological issues or problems is that there's no filter everything mm-hmm. goes in they f- 
feel more, they experience mm-hmm. more, like all these things go in there and it's, it's, it can be a lot. And then that, then if, if they turn to art as a way to kind of therapeutically get that out, you know, at least that's the, they, this record, this uh, article had kind of suggested was the idea that they take those things and like that's their way of processing that is it's got to go back out somewhere it can't just all go in there's got to be a bleeder valve and that bleeder valve is songs or painting or sculpture or acting or design or whatever that is for people you know mm-hmm. at least that's and I, I it seems completely logical to me so I'm buying it all right <laughs> <laughs> anyway let's play another song here we're just about out of time I mean, I've just, I mean we'll talk just a little bit after this but I've had such a wonderful time talking to you uh, what is this last song going to be Claire um, this is a song uh, called Flywheel Bird and it was on a record called Sanctuary that I released in 1999 man and it was uh, a collection of hymns and this was one that I wrote to sort of be in that um, genre. Okay, so once again, Claire Holly with a hymn on Independence Day. Fly away, old bird. Set you free. 
Claire, thank you so very much for taking time out of your busy schedule, coming here, sharing your music, sharing your life, sharing your experiences with us and our audience. It's been great to have you. Great to meet you. Thank you for having me. Your music is so beautiful. Thank you. It's so wonderful. Like every, everyone should go buy this record. She's got a brand new record. It's called Time in the Middle. It's just be, it's, it's kind of soft released out already. Kind mm-hmm. of it's out, but mm-hmm. you're doing a CD release party. Yes. Tell me about this. It's just this Saturday night. The Saturday, June 6th at Room 5 Lounge, um, 9 p.m. 9 p.m. Now, is yes. this going to be a full band affair, a solo affair? Um, it will be sort of a, a small combo, like okay. a, a sort of, it'll be acoustic, but there'll be some special guests. For folks like us, I think that is a full band affair Yeah, yeah. these days. I say acoustic, but I'll be having an electric guitar too, so. Yeah. Well, like I said, that's a, that's a full affair. Yeah, I think. Uh, also, we did something really, really special for her show. Uh, we and, and we were setting up everything. Uh, we decided we figured out that we were both big fans of Sam Beam, Iron and Wine. Mm-hmm. So as we were kind of dealing with setting things up and garbage trucks rolling by, we recorded a song, which you can go to our website, uh, indepthday.com. Visit Claire Holly's page, and you can see a little special surprise we did for everybody there. We're also doing something unique for this. There's a song we were talking about. This you wanted to have some out music mm-hmm. for your interview. Tell me why we chose this and why we're playing at the end of our interview. Well. Um, so I, I imagine this is kind of a, I, I imagine recording this song differently than we recorded it. But when Dan did his take on it, it sort of sounded, he had sort of some Beatles-esque instrumentation. And I just love what he did. And so okay. we're going out on the outro with the instrumentation. Thank you, Dan Phelps. Okay, well, let's kick it off. Here it goes. Okay, so Claire, thank you once again. Be sure to drop by uh, Room 5 this Saturday night at 9 p.m. to see Claire Holly's release party for Time in the Middle. Thanks. So thanks to Claire Hawley, also to the Independence Day staff, Valentina Rivera, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The well-heeled Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme musical is composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. Be sure to check them out, too. For Independence Day, as always, I am Joe Armstrong. If you do one thing today, please be good to one another. <laughs>